I'm Natalie Tisdall, a journalist who decided enough is enough. I left a career that looked glamorous to do what I was scared of doing, going out on my own. I'm a married working mom of three. On this podcast, we're going to talk about issues that really matter. Why am I not sleeping? What's up with that diet everyone's talking about? Are my kids falling behind? How do I leave that job and start over? Welcome to the Natalie Tisdall Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, everyone. It's Natalie. This summer has been very busy for me, a lot of transition happening. I want to do something new today. And if you've listened to this podcast for very long, it might be information you've already heard, but you will enjoy and get something out of hearing it again. If you're new here, well, you're in for something life-changing. Without knowing it, our nervous systems can trap us. Past trauma, even unknown trauma, gets trapped and then holds us back and contributes to illnesses. Today, you're going to learn what the nervous system is and how you can regulate it without any type of medication. I can't tell you just how important this is. My guest is Irene Lyon, a nervous system expert who teaches people how to transform trauma and heal mind and body. This episode was from last year, but with so many people asking about it and with so many of you new here, I wanted to bring it back for a second run. If you haven't already done so, would you please hit the subscribe button and head over to my website, natalietisdall.com. You can sign up for my newsletter there with lots of great information. Also, my social media links are there and they are in the show notes. You can always find more information in the show notes of this podcast episode. That's where I offer tips and advice for health, family, and mindset. Okay, let's get started this week with my guest, Irene Lyon. Irene is joining me now, and we have a lot to get to, Irene. And I want to start with the basics. Mm -hmm. What is the nervous system? Why is it important? What does it regulate? Yeah, so that's a very important question, and it's very important information that I believe all humans need to know, especially now. So there's a few nervous systems. One is the central nervous system. And one is the peripheral nervous system. So central is really simple. If you think center line, you know, down the middle center, central, it's the brain and the spinal cord. And I think most of us know what their, our brains are and our spinal cord, right? right? Then the peripheral nervous system. So peripheral means coming out of the center. And so the peripheral nervous system, those are all the nerves, all the little electrical pieces that come out of the brain. We have things that come out of our brain called nerves. And we also have lots of nerves that come out of our spinal cord. And so the peripheral nervous system goes to like, I've got a a glass of water here and I've got a cup of coffee here. And to do that, I have to use obviously my muscles, but my brain is sending a signal through from the central to the peripheral spinal cord area that sends an instruction, pick up, contract muscles, If this was a scalding hot glass of water, I wouldn't be so liberal at just holding this with my hands, right? But I would, if I have good sensation in my hands, I would feel it. Now, if you've ever had a tooth pulled or a cavity, you know, and you get freezing, have you had that happen before? Yes. Okay. And then you try to like drink something or put some, and you, you don't know where it is and your, it even will fall out of your mouth. When an area is numb, those sensations are gone. And so it can't give you feedback. So this peripheral nervous system gives us feedback, but it also gives us the capacity to move and act. 
the other part of this peripheral nervous system. So that would be like muscles, sensations, those sorts of things. The other part is what's called the autonomic nervous system. So that's part of the peripheral. So we have the motor sensory, which I just explained with a cup of water. And then we have the autonomic and the autonomic nervous system goes to all the internal organs. So our digestion. So if I was to drink this glass of water, it would go into my mouth, obviously, and end up doing what it needs in my body, hydrating me. If I don't need it, I'll pee it out. It does it automatically, right? You don't have to think about it. You don't have right. to say release into stomach and da, 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 da. It just happens automatically. Hence autonomic nervous system. Same with your immune system. So like I'm recovering from a little cut on my thumb from something I was cutting the other day. I don't have to tell my body how to heal this, but the system will do that automatically. Same with hormones. So if I eat something, the brain sends nerve impulses to the pancreas to release insulin so that the sugar in my blood, it, it doesn't stay in the blood. So that's a very quick and dirty example of autonomic nervous system governs these hormones, even the reproductive uh, functions, our heart, right? Our heart rate, our breath, our sleepiness, our wakefulness. We're looking at each other, Natalie. So if I was to like, and you just, as I said that you smiled a little bit, believe it or not, that is also part of our autonomic nervous mm -hmm. system. If you were to just sit there with a stone cold face, I would have a hard time knowing if you were getting this. And you just mentioned before we started to record, you teach a journalism class to students and you can kind of tell when you're a teacher, what's going on, yes. right? right? Like you can tell if people are distracted, if they're really interested, they're kind of leaning in. I don't know if kids take notes anymore, but they take notes, that kind of thing. That is also part of our nervous system. The other interesting part is let's just say hope this doesn't happen, but let's just say a bird flies into my glass in front of me. So I have a big window here. I might get startled if I don't see it. And that startle is my autonomic nervous system going danger, jump back because something might come to my face. And then I realize, oh, poor bird, no big deal. Well, not no big deal. Probably will just be fine. I'll go back to talking to you. Okay. So yes. given all that, why does it matter? Like, yeah, there's one balance or yeah, there's one more. So the other portion of the autonomic nervous system, that jumping back, mm -hmm. that is part of our survival mechanisms. And those are, I'm simplifying, but they're mm -hmm. fight, flight, and yep. freeze. Okay. And so fight would be like, someone's coming at me and I'm like, you know, get out of my way, stop, push, whatever. Flight might be that jump back. It might be, I see something coming at me and I got to run out of the way or jump out of the way. Freeze would be, oh my goodness, I can't do anything about what's happening to me. Either something like an accident or an abuse or an attack, or even being screamed at, let's say by an angry parent, I can't fight. I can't leave. So I'm going to freeze. I'm going to go into this survival mode to preserve myself which is actually more prominent than we realize in our Western civilization. So the reason why I'm saying all these pieces at the beginning, our fight flight freeze, again, I said governed by that autonomic nervous system. When we're living in a lot of that, when we're constantly 
scared in fear under stress in an abusive environment, toxic environment, unsafe environment, when those are always on, remember how I said the autonomic nervous system also governs the digestion, the immune system, the heart. It's like it's being co-opted for survival. And so the other functions kind of get left behind. They don't work as well. They start to suffer or they go chaos. I'm being very simple here. They go into chaos or they become depressed. And so something like anxiety, for example, which is a common term in my world of the somatics and working with the nervous system is fight flight on, on, on. Whereas freeze would be the system being like, I can't get out of this situation. I'm going to shut all those systems down. The digestion slows down. The blood doesn't flow as well. We don't get enough oxygen to our cells. We don't repair. Our sleep can go off in many different ways. The immune system becomes depressed because we can't repair and we can't fight things that are supposed to be, you know, cancer is a great example of this, right? The system is just kind of going into a chaos mode. It's not regenerating and cleaning the cells. So the reason why it's important to go back to your question is that it is sort of like, like the governor, if you will, of all of these internal systems. But if that governor is being attacked or is under attack or fear is in fear all the time or in shutdown, it can't do its jobs in here. That makes sense. It does. And I'm thinking, okay, so life has stress, right? We're going to have a stressful week, or you're going to have a big test. If you're a a student Mm -hmm. or work is going to be stressful. Is it just that we need to learn how to deal with that in the moment or are we holding on to, and I think you're going to have two answers to this, Mm -hmm. are we holding on to some of those things from say my journalism career and many years of covering traumatic stories and feeling that, that pressure and is my nervous system still dealing with some of that kind of PTSD of those issues and those stories? It I'm could using be. myself as an example. Yeah, it could be. People. It could be, Natalie. Everyone's a bit different. But where this story gets really interesting is that a person's resiliency starts in utero. It starts even before we're born and how our two parents are in their nervous system health. You know, so you have little baby, you know, coming out or you have one little one in utero, they're feeling all the stress chemicals that mother is feeling or that even father is feeling, or, and we know this through the research done post-World War II on those who are within the, the concentration camps and also post 9-11 with mothers that were pregnant living in Manhattan, that environment, even though you're not born yet, is giving you stress. It's giving you her adrenaline because the umbilical cord is connecting you to. And so the little one, believe it or not, inside is trying to flee from their situation, but they can't because they're locked inside a safe womb, right? So that's one example because a lot of times people will say, Natalie, I really did have a good childhood. Like I had good parents. They taught me right from wrong. They loved me, fed me. They didn't coddle me, helicopter parent me. Like they were really good. And then you say, well, what happened? Like what was going on when your parents were, were before they had you, what happened to their ancestors? Right. And so it transfers through, but this idea of stress, it comes down to a few things. So how we were raised, did we get 
good nurturing from our primary caregiver because some kids didn't. So I just gave the example of someone who maybe did. A lot of humans don't get that. When there isn't that solid, attuned, safe relationship with little human and the primary, it doesn't have to be a mother. It could be a nanny, a grandparent, that kind of thing. The little one won't form nervous system wires that are solid and what we would call offering them the learnings towards self-regulation. So when an infant comes out, granted their full term, their digestion is working pretty good, their immune system, not so much, but they get that as soon as they're exposed to the environment and to mom and the things that they eat and consume and breathe. But what they don't have, Natalie, is they can't communicate yet, right? Takes a long time for an infant to talk and to understand but they can see our facial expressions. You nod at them, they look at you, they're upset. If you go in with a scared face, that's not gonna help them. You, you know, if they're crying, 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 you'd be have, there needs to be this, hello, what's going on? Like very soft, not necessarily, right. that's how they learn how to take that fear or maybe the belly discomfort or whatever it is, and then they bring it down through what's called co-regulation with us as the primary caregiver. So when we're born, the main nerve that allows our heart to come down, like from high, it isn't properly working yet. I'll throw out a fancy word called, called myelination. So our nerves, some nerves have this fat sheath around them that allows conductivity through the system to be really sharp. And so it's not fully covered in fat, some of these nerves when we're born. And believe it or not, that interaction with a primary caregiver, healthy, attuned, safe, builds that resiliency in this specific part of the nervous system that calms us down. If we don't get that, we then have a little one who doesn't know how to self-regulate and their system becomes what we would call dysregulated rather than regulated. Now for some humans, like we're really robust, we can push through a lot. And I'm sure you know that I know that, you know, and we can be fine and I'm great. I'm putting the smile on. I'm sure you knew that from your journalism career. You feel terrible, but you're, you're like, I'm here. I'm and to be really good at that. Unfortunately. Totally. And, but inside there's like a little storm going on. Yeah. But what's interesting with us is that we can actually function really well when we're shut down and frozen to what's happening inside. I would say that the bulk of really, really successful people, and I'm generalizing here, but they're pushing in a way that shows their success, but they're, they're, they're negating the fact that they're hungry or they're thirsty or they're tired. Well, and my question about that is how long does that last and when do they start paying the price for that? What often happens, Natalie, is they get sick. That's an extreme example, but I know enough people now, I'm 45, I have enough friends, friends of friends whom are pushing, 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 and then they get diagnosed with a terminal illness or they end up with an autoimmune condition or they have severe depression or they have severe anxiety or insomnia, usually there's something physical or mental, something mm -hmm. coming out of the body that says, we can't keep going like this. And so we're going to give you a sickness 
a crisis to pay attention. And we know this. I mean, it's so interesting. Kind of the history of current society, many people don't just die of old age. And by that, I mean the day before they die, they're walking, they're cooking their own food, they're mentally there, they're, they're going for a jog, they're with their family, they're doing their creative stuff, and then they go to sleep and then they just don't wake up. That rarely happens, especially in kind of our North American society. Usually there's an illness that gets them. There is a complication of an illness that gets them. And so it's kind of a sad thing to think about, but in my opinion, it doesn't have to be that way, but it's, we've become used to it. Oh, you're just used to having medication because that you're old. That makes sense. When I go to a hospital, which doesn't happen very often, but the first thing they ask, are you on any medications? And I often wonder how many people actually say no, right. you know, because <laughs> yeah. I'm not, but I think most people are typically, and it's just what we've gotten used to. So to go back to your question, how do people know that this stuff is in them? It's usually coming out in ways that are symptomatic. And then what occurs, Natalie, is because of our kind of sick care culture, it's like, oh, well, you have a digestion problem. Let's put you on some drugs to change that. Or you better stop eating this. Or you have pre-diabetes. Okay, you better do this. And it doesn't, we don't go back to like, well, what's causing the system to create that illness? Yeah. Okay. So let's use me as an example. I'm, I'm pretty open with my listeners and I think it's probably awesome. a fairly good example for people. Ever since I have three kids and ever since my first daughter, after that pregnancy, I had restless legs. And it seems to be something when I talk to people, they say, Oh, I have that. Or my grandma has that or whatever. And, mm-hmm. but it's sometimes not defined as restless legs. It's like, I'm jittery. I have a hard time falling asleep or people just don't know that's what it is. But I'm asking you this because I finally saw a doctor about it. Mm -hmm. And the doctor said, well, I have a medication that I can give you that will help with it. And my first reaction, I think you'll like this knowing who you are a little bit more. I don't really want to take a medication. I want to know why I have it. Like, mm-hmm. what am I doing wrong? And I've looked it up many times. I've done research on yeah. magnesium and iron and all yeah. kinds of things that I now take supplements for mm-hmm. and it's better, but I want to use myself as an example with this because is that a nervous system thing? How might you address that? Yeah. So I, I, there's definitely situations with those things where there might be a deficiency. I know magnesium is a big one. But as you said, it's helped a bit, but it's still there, right? So it's aided, but it's still there. So I'm just going to speak more general. So restless leg, at least in my work of working with this nervous system and the somatic body and understanding trapped survival stress, it is that fight flee energy and flee is a running energy. Like I'm fleeing the scene trapped in the system for whatever reason. You mentioned after birth. So of course, my curiosity is, was there anything traumatic about that birth? Did you have to go under? Were you, did someone try to hold you down at any point in time? Were you wanting to do something in that moment and you weren't allowed to? And again, there's so many instances, but from what I've seen, this, this restless leg is the body trying to get out 
that fight Mm. flee energy. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like, oh my God, someone's coming at me with a knife. I have to run, but I couldn't. And I got stabbed. I mean, that's kind of a gruesome example, but just to be very simple, it could be, I'm sitting here and I want to scream and kick someone because I don't like what they're saying to me and I can't. So I'm going to hold this energy and this F you energy and all this stuff. And I'm, I'm going to hold it in and be a good little person. But then what's happening, like if I I've got this glass of water, my handy prop, you know, let's just say that all that fight flight energy is in here and we're like, okay, we're not going to, we're just not going to let it out. If we heat this up and we live through life with this full cup, it's going to want to spill out. The pressure is going to want to release. So that restless sea leg thing can be something about not being able to complete a running response because you actually couldn't run away from something, or it could be a mental construct, an emotional thing, something where you were not able to express what you needed to express. And it got trapped in that peripheral nervous system that I mentioned the muscles wanting to complete. So I don't know if that rings a bell with anything that happens to you. It does. And it's 20 years. My daughter's going to be 21. I still deal with it. Different times. It's interesting because definitely different times when I'm tired, you know, when I'm stressed, stressed, it comes out, but I want to ask you what people can do. So say people are listening and they're relating to this and they're like, I know I have some trauma to deal mm-hmm. with, or mm-hmm. I know that they, this, all of this rings a bell to them. Where do you start? What do yeah. you do? It's varied and it's not at the same time. So one of the primary steps isn't so much a practice, but you could consider it a practice, but it's education. So learning to a much deeper degree than what I've just said here in our little time together, what Mm -hmm. the nervous system is, the different branches of the autonomic nervous system, how they're formed, how they might not be formed. Were you a kiddo that was born premature? Was there birth trauma? Were your parents alcoholic? Did you have to have a surgery as an infant, for example? That's actually a real big one, Natalie, that a lot of people don't realize. If you think a little baby that comes out and they have to say have a procedure, like lots of kids have procedures when they're young and their little arms have to be strapped down. Their little legs have to be strapped down to be put under because you can't say to them, please lie still, right? You can't. And so they're they're sensing fear and they want to run, but they can't because they're little. So those little things, because a lot of times Natalie, people are like, well, I wasn't raped. I wasn't in a war. I didn't have, my parents didn't hit me. I wasn't abused. Like all these basic things that we consider traumatic, but we forget, or we haven't really known until now that surgeries, dental trauma, like that's a big one, actually accidents, seeing something that we didn't want to see not being able to express ourselves. So this education piece is really important so that we, you know, often I'll say this, my, my students will say, wow, I wish I knew this information when I was 20. And these are people that are in their, you know, 60s, 70s, because if I did, I would have done this differently. I wouldn't have gone down that path. And so just by having the knowledge, you start to see things differently. The next part would be trying to figure out, and of course, this is what I teach, but trying to figure out what am I not feeling? Do you have emotional health? And that isn't just being able to cry. 
It's also being able to feel anger and joy and feel fear, but not have it shut you down because all these emotions, human emotions are very important for our full health, but we just kind of like, oh, oh, you're a girl, you should be sad. You're a boy, you should be angry. I mean, they even get taught to us really young, right? Girls don't fight that kind of thing. And so understanding, trying to understand, oh yeah, I'm, what do you mean anger, Irene? That's bad. Like, why would I want to be angry? It's like, well, we have a animal physiology in us that, that needs to express some of these emotions. So really starting to investigate where you might shut down, where you might not be able to speak up. Boundaries are a big one. So a lot of us just not everyone, but you know, some people will just let people walk all over them. They won't say no, they won't say I don't like that, or they won't know how to ask for help, because they've done it all themselves, because no one was there with for them when they were little. And so they're stoic. But in that stoicism, they're like in stress mode, 24 seven, because it was just not safe to let the guard down when we were young. So that's another piece. And then interestingly enough, one of the more powerful things for people to do that seems really basic is starting to listen to your biology. And by that, I mean, do you hold your bladder in when you have to go to the bathroom, right? I have met so many people, women usually, because men, their bladders are a little different. They can hold their pee in for a long, like for a whole work day. I've known people who have not, who've had to have their assistants tell them when to go to the bathroom because they're just so busy. Crazy, And it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And these are also the people that I'm hearing these stories because they're really sick, Natalie, because I'll ask questions. Do you listen to your body? Well, I am now because I'm sick, but I hadn't for like 40 years. Mm. Right. And so again, as simple as it might sound, listening to when do you have to go to the bathroom? When do you have to, when do you have to eat? Like, are you needing food? Are you eating, but you're not hungry, which is a huge one in our society. Are you tired? And are you just hitting yourself with more sugar and coffee? And I, you know, I'm nothing against having a little bit of that every now and again, but if it's being given to us to push us and drive us past our limit, Something's not right, but we've become almost addicted to that go, go, go. And because of this higher brain of ours, that is so powerful, we can push past severe discomfort. Hmm. I know that I'm sure you know that from your past job, but what happens is as we start to not listen to these cues, our body starts to not give us the information it needs. So we stop, we don't then notice when we might um, have a pain in our gut because we're eating something that we shouldn't, or we might, and I'm going to make a stretch. We might be just so disconnected from our body, Natalie, and our gut is like a first brain. It can, it can tell us when something's not right in the environment. That's how babies know when a dangerous person is alive around they feel it in their gut Mm. goes directly to the brain. There's more nerves that go from the gut to the brain than from the brain to the gut. That, you know, someone says, I just got this gut sense, right? I've got this guts, gut instinct, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you are disconnected from that, you were, you will, 
again, I'm being general, you will walk down that dark alley and get into trouble. There is a, there is an instinctual quality to our organs and our viscera and this nervous system that provides information for us staying safe or getting out of danger. And one of the hallmarks of folks whom have a lot of stored trauma is they get into the same toxic environment, abusive relationship over and over again. The family system wasn't safe. All they knew was on safety and being on guard. They never saw what it was like to have a nurturing environment. And so by default, they find someone that's going to replicate how they were brought up. Yeah. Because while it's not safe, it actually, it's, it's comfortable. It's all they know. It's right. all they know. Yeah. yeah. And what's so interesting is when you work with folks who, let's just say again, had that upbringing and they actually do do the work and they learn and they learn how to listen to their guts and their heart and their bodies and they take care of them. And then they'll meet someone who's really good for them, like really good for them. Often there'll be this feeling of disgust. Like they'll feel gross. And that doesn't mean that that person is wrong, but it's such a different polar opposite. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. That they're like, Ugh, like, and they'll actually have a visceral feeling. And then what do they do? Well, this must, must not be right. And then they sabotage it. Just fascinating. You know, on another level, what I can relate to with that, that I think yeah. other people can too, is leaving a job because of the stress mm -hmm. and then automatically creating a lot more stress. Yep. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> I left my early morning news job and I started piling things on again. Mm -hmm. Like my list got longer and I came up with new things to do. And it mm -hmm. has taken, I'm six months out, but I think people can relate to that because you leave for one reason. And I had to really take a step back and go, what Good are you doing? I did this to slow down and to yeah. listen and to learn. And, yeah. but it's all I've known for so long as I'm so in that many of us do. Oh, I'm in that boat too. I was brought up by two very entrepreneurial parents who are both um, veterinarians, actually successful animal hospital. I was in that hospital from day one, you know, like in it I working. Stress. Yeah. And so for me, I'm glad because I learned really good work ethic and how to relate to animals and I can do minor surgery and all those sorts of things. So that's cool. But I also didn't, uh, it, it's still for me hard to really not do something. Mm -hmm. And my husband's great. Cause he's like, he almost forces me to rest and I'll feel guilty. It'll be like this, too. like I should be doing something. And so that's my learning right now is like, okay, it's okay to take a two hour bath. Like don't yeah. tell anyone. Right. But yeah. it's been a learning and it's good because I'm at that age where I am seeing my friends get sick who aren't listening to that. I want to go back. You mentioned the restless leg thing. Because this goes into what can people do? So the first thing, education, okay, really important. The second thing was really listening to the physiology, the emotions. Am I stone? Like, can I watch a violent movie and not cringe? We've been programmed to see so much stuff and just not flinch, right? Those sorts of things. But with the leg thing, still get the education, listen to these physiology pieces, so have you ever, when you felt that restless, here, I'll ask you this, this question. When you feel the restless leg, yeah. how do you know it's coming? I don't know it's coming. I just get jittery. Like my legs are just jittery. 
and usually at night and I can't fall asleep because I'm, I'm just restless tossing and turning. And it's not just my legs. I'm just restless, but do I you ever just it starts there. Okay. Do you ever get up out of bed and just let that restlessness just go full tilt, like, like a race car? Yeah. Like just get up and jog around. I do stretches, drink some okay. water. Like, yes. So you get up. So my next question would be, so these are some of the things that you would work with, or I would work with if I was working with someone. So the reason I asked, do you know what's happening just before? So the question is, what is occurring in your system right before that fight flight energy starts to come out? Like, is there, is there something that changes in your breathing? Is there something that changes in your throat, in the groin? Is it just gearing down at the end of the night and then you're feeling this unresolved, let's call it trauma in the system. And then it can, because usually these things come out at night when we're, when it's more quiet, there's not as many distractions. So tracking and seeing if there can be, and this is something that you'll have to play with. Is there a little sensation? Is there emotion? Am I doing something that's tipping this off a little bit? That's, you know, tripping it off. The fact that you said when you feel it, you do get up and you move is interesting. And I'll, I'll say this, like if you can be with that movement and get really creative and curious, not with what you think it might need, but what does it want? So actually asking your legs, Natalie, or your feet, what do you need? What's your problem? What do you need? What do you need? Like, what do you, what, what would you like to do? Cause it's, it might not be that they want to run. It might be that they want to, they want you to scream huh. or they want you to cry or they want you to, I don't know what, like, I can't, I can't fill in that blank because what happens, and I'll say this, cause right now there's a, there's a quite a big push in the world for what's, what's called trauma release exercises where you instigate a shaking response in the body. The trouble with that is that if the system, if that isn't what it actually needs to complete and get the trauma out of the system, you're going to be bypassing what the system actually needs. So it's how can you attune better to that restlessness and see what's under it. And believe it or not, that little practice of listening to when you have to go to the bathroom, thirst, hunger, you may be already good at that, but you can get better at that. Hmm. Like if someone, like, for example, a common thing, people ask us, how are you doing today? And often we say, I'm fine or I'm good. Is that true? So are there, are there things that you're doing, or this is just not just you, but anyone where you're conditioning your response is a conditioned response. Are you actually expressing what is going on now? Or are you censoring it because of the person you're talking to? Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes we might have to censor it. If you had a five-year-old and you're feeling devastated, you don't want to scare that child by saying, mommy's pissed off right now and needs to go cry for four hours. Don't do that, right? Because that's also happening right now in our current world is Young parents think that to teach their children good emotional health, you got to show them your emotions full sleeve, like on your sleeve. And that's not good either. 
But let's just say you have your partner or your best friend and they ask you, how are you doing? And you're like, I'm exhausted or I'm scared or I'm worried. Getting connected to that authenticity that when that restless leg comes up, you are more honest with what's going on and it can be more honest with you. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I can see this in so many different places in people's lives. And it's one of the things when I left this job in the news business was my goal was I didn't want to smile for four and a half hours every morning when I didn't feel like, I mean, I had to learn to put on a happy face when it wasn't, not every day is easy. Mom Mm -hmm. of three, I was getting up in the middle of the night, but I learned to fake it. Of course. When I, when I left, one of my goals was I want to live more authentically. I just want to feel what I need to feel. And I know this is all in your world. So you like this. Yeah. It's not as easy as I thought it would be because it's conditioned. And was it 20 years you were doing this? 28 years. 28 years. Mm -hmm. Holy cow. So Yeah. Yeah. And I think I mean, but a lot of people, they, they, they sit and just sometimes you do just have to pick yourself up when you're having a bad day yeah, and yeah, move yeah. on. And yeah. I'm all about mindset. So have a positive mindset when you are having a bad day, but being authentic to okay. your feelings yes. and being able to talk to those you trust and love, not, you don't have to tell the world or social media when you're having no. a bad day, but to be able to talk about it, journal about it, your spouse, your mom, your whomever, yeah. to be authentic and, and to give credit to those feelings, to deal with a hundred percent. And, you know, this idea that everything always has to look good has really been born out of this magazine. I mean, it was before social media. We think social media created that, but the magazine culture and world, it's been showing beautiful pictures of you know, all that forever, but you're right. Sometimes you do have to put on a happy face and get the job done, but then we have to remember, okay, I now need two hours in the bath, for example, or a walk in the woods or listening to some music and dancing or whatever and feeling, and this takes time, Natalie, it's, you know, we've conditioned ourselves to put on a happy face since we were like five years old. For example, when we started to go to school, that's when it really started in us as humans in this Western civilization. It's going to take some time to build up that authentic, this is who I am and I'm proud of it. And I'm now going to cry myself into a puddle in the bath because what happened today sucked, but I had to be there for my team, for my kids, for whatever, because it can be a trap to not take care of that stuff when it occurs. But when it occurs, if you can take care of it as soon as possible, that's, that's the gold, right? Like absolutely. to, get, to give yeah. one really simple example, that's less emotional. Let's just say you stub your toe on a coffee table. This is like my classic example. You feel the sensation. There's that peripheral nervous system. And what do we do? We keep going. We keep going. We don't feel it. We just keep going. And then we start tripping because our body is actually in a minor stress response. If we can use those little accidents that aren't life-threatening as like a proxy for teaching ourselves what we maybe never got when we were young, Hmm. we start to learn how to feel our sensations. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Even getting into the shower and the moment that hot water hits you, can you really feel it? 
because the skin will react, right? The blood vessels will dilate when you go to, again, really descriptive, but when you go pee, rather than looking at your phone, can you feel the pressure change in your bladder and breathe with it? And again, in tune, yeah, very in tune. This isn't rocket science, but it's these things that I've found we need prompting for as humans who've just been in this conditioned rat race since like really the industrial revolution. Yeah. Yeah. It isn't just, we have to step back. Like we we have have to, to. yeah. And it it just couldn't be more important to Mm -hmm. being healthy. Just just healthy, living lives, being happier. I want you in a moment to tell people where to find you. I have followed you on Instagram for some time now, which is how I found you for the podcast. And I really enjoy your updates, Um, but I I want you to tell people in a moment, but I have two questions that I Mm -hmm. also like to ask all of my guests. And we talk about productivity because one of my pillars is mindset. That doesn't mean that we have to be ultra productive and that Mm -hmm. that's success, but I especially like to hear from someone who is in tune with everything on one of their tips for productivity. So when it's a good day, (laughs) the night before I will clear my desk off and I will put stuff away that doesn't need to be there. It's really simple, right? But yeah, old post-it notes that have already been taken care of. I mean, I've got a bill from UPS here that shouldn't be there, but it's still there. So, you know, I, like I said, on a good night, day, 24 hour cycle, I will clean everything off and I will take a, I don't even use a journal. I just use, use old scrap paper that the printer spit out that was useless. And I put it on a, a clipboard like that uh-huh. and I will restart what needs to be done the next day on a fresh piece of paper that's recycled. So that would be like more a behavioral thing that I do. I love just that. To, just to, you know, and it's true. Like when the stuff around you is cluttered, you can't focus on the thing you have to do. I now, agree I don't so always, much. And I don't always do that. You know, if I'm exhausted and I just, and my eyes are tired from being on the computer all day, then I'm not going to force it. Yeah. Right. So I'm also letting myself stay in the flow because sometimes these routines can actually take us out of our natural authentic capacity. But of course you don't want it to pile up to the point where you can't find anything. So that would be one of the things I do that's less typical is just good old paper and writing things down with a pen. But I love the the cleaning your space. It just feels, it feels, I feel more productive when I clean my space. It's hard for me to sit down and work when I haven't just cleaned the area around me actually. 100% just helps me. Otherwise I find that I end up doing it all day and then I don't really focus. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Okay. And then uh, my, my second question really has to do with how you got to where you are. What's your purpose? Mm. And when did you figure that out? Well, I had a professor in university in fourth year. So I was in my twenties say to me after I did a presentation on omega three fats, and it was like, if you can remember the old overhead projectors with yes. the, right? the pen that gets all over you. <laughs> I finished that and she came up to me, Sue Crawford was her name. She was like, you really have a knack for this. And at the time, Natalie, I thought she meant I had a knack for omega-3 fatty acid research. That's not what she meant. She meant, and I figured this out later, you have a knack for taking really complex stuff 
and breaking it down really simply. And it wasn't until when I really got into the nervous system and trauma work, which is around 2008-ish, that I then found how I could take that skill, that superpower, if you will, and take this real complex stuff that we've just been talking about and break it down as simply as possible, but not leave out the important stuff because it drives me mad when I see other people in this industry and health industry try to oversimplify it and make it just a meme. And I'm like, I can't do that because you're leaving out the infinity of the picture. It's not that you can't give a 12 step process to someone on how to heal trauma. It is impossible. Just like you can't give a person a 12 step process for how to build a house. Like you need to intimately understand engineering, architecture, foundation, like, and so that would be, um, I don't know if that's a mission, but that's kind of my motto is just like, don't dumb it down. Give the, the human on the other end, the benefit of the doubt. And from what I found when you do that, when you really give the complexity, but you try to give lots of examples and you also are like, and it could be this, and it could be that. It's like, choose your own adventure books. It, it soaks into people yeah, because they recognize themselves or someone else they know in those stories, in those vignettes. And that's what connects people to the information. And then they go, oh, I now know why I have this thing. Yeah. It's because of what happened back then or what didn't happen back then is often another situation. Yeah. Well, I I want uh, you to be able to give people some more information on you because I do think people have listened and thought, I relate to that. Or like you said, I, I, I know someone that really could use this help and it's never too late to get the help. Don't feel like 20, 30, 40 years ago, something happened to you and it's just, you can't do anything about it. It's never too late. I have students that are in their eighties. The key is that you have to be really interested because this isn't something that you can just lay down and I do it to you. You have to be an active participant in learning I like to say, become an apprentice of your nervous system and all the pieces that it touches. And when you do, doesn't mean you're going to get rid of the stress that you come across because we can't control all of that, but you will know how to be with this ever-changing world that we are definitely in right now that is very uncertain. You will be able to be with it and be okay. Like you'll feel it, but then you'll know how to process it and how to not store it. And I think what's occurring right now is a lot of people are getting sick as a side result of what's been going on because they have no clue how to listen to their bodies. Yeah. Diet and exercise is important, but it's not enough. So much more. Where can people uh, find you and and are you able to help people everywhere through some of your programs? I know you don't see individual patients, right? Not anymore. No, I'm no longer in private practice, but courses on my site. So just my name, Irene Lyon, the Y, no S.com. There's oodles of education on my YouTube channel. Obviously I have Instagram, but don't just follow me there. <laughs> Get into the stuff. Um, I have downloads on my site with really basic, but still powerful audio samples, great eBooks. And then I have two main online courses to date, we've had people from 90, 90 countries go through them. Fantastic. So it's more than just, you know, the, the big, the big Western countries. It's, 
everyone is getting into this, doing it. And like I said, the thing that most people say is how come, how come everyone doesn't know about this? And so my hope is that more and more people can know about this so that things just get a little easier. So yeah, my site, that's where everything is. Yeah. Well, I've been there and I encourage people to check it out, deal with these things. I promise you won't regret it. And Irene, I've enjoyed so much. I've learned so much and let's do it again. Okay. Sure. We'll be back in touch and I know we can continue to learn from you. So thank you. You're welcome. And keep me updated on your legs. I I will. Yeah. Let me know. I will. I'm going to be paying attention and I will. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for joining the Natalie Tisdall podcast. You can follow along on Instagram and at natalietisdall.com. Subscribe to the show to catch every new episode and leave a review so I can continue to bring you fresh content. See you next week.